0: Bonjour and welcome to the Good Life France podcast. I'm your host, Janine Marsh, and I live in the far north of France in a tiny village of 152 people and a thousand cows. Though I was, as you may be able to tell from my accent, born in London. I came here on a day trip in 2004 with my dad and my husband to buy some wine i also bought a rundown old hovel it's a really long story and you can hear more about it in episode one of this podcast my life here is not like it was in london where i worked in a bank as a project manager now i am made to dozens of animals i travel all around france all year and i write books about france and i'm the editor of a website and magazine about france As you can tell i really love france When I'm not writing or travelling or looking after animals, I love to share what I discover with you on this podcast alongside my partner, Olivier Geoffrey.
1: Bonjour tout le monde, thank you for tuning in to our podcast again from uh, wherever you are in the world. I'm Olivier, indeed Oli for short, and I'm a Frenchie, though I lived in the UK for many years, which is where I got my uh, perfect British accent from, obviously. Now I live in sunny Lyon, the opposite end of France from Janine, a city that is famous for its gastronomy. In fact, it's nicknamed the gastronomic capital of the world. But enough of us. What is today's topic, Janine? I can't wait to hear.
0: I think you just said that Lyon is the gastronomic capital of the world. It is. I don't know if that's actually true. I know it's the gastronomic capital of France, but I know that when you'll go there, you're going to share with us and probably prove to us that it's the gastronomic capital of the world. I will. But as you, <laughs> as you say, let's talk about today's topic. So today we are going to be talking about Paris Uncovered the city of light, the city of love, the city of chocolate shops. Yes, there are actually more chocolate shops in Paris than any other city in the world, I'm told. I haven't tried them all yet. It's also home to the Eiffel Tower. It's the world's most popular city. But in this episode, we're going to be uncovering some of the most amazing hidden gems, the places you might miss if you don't know that they're there. And we're going to talk about some of the city's amazing history and the people that lived there.
1: Oh, that is a great topic, Janine. We love the Eiffel Tower, of course. In fact, we devoted a whole episode to the Iron Lady. But there is so much more to discover in Paris. So let's find out. The Good Life France podcast. Everything you want to know about France and more... With Janine Marsh and Olivier Geoffroy.
0: I first visited France when I was a teenager on a school exchange trip, and I fell in love with French cake shops, drinking hot chocolate out of a bowl, very crispy toasted bread out of a packet, a bit of a foodie theme going on there, plus the Eiffel Tower, of course, the Palace of Versailles, and much, much more. But number one on my list of true loves, age 14 was Paris.
1: Of course it was. I love Paris too. We French are always saying Paris isn't France and it can sound a bit negative but really we are very proud of our capital city. We think it is the most beautiful city in the world. But when we say Paris is not France it's because it is its own little world just as London is to Great Britain and New York is to America.
0: It's not just you and me that love Paris, Oli. In fact, Paris is the world's most popular city. And I know what you're going to say.
1: The world and beyond. (laughs) Yes, it's true. If there is an extraterrestrial life out there, of course they are going to want to visit Paris too. Uh,
0: Of course they are. That aside, in 2022, there were 44 million visitors to Paris. The Louvre Museum, And the Eiffel Tower were the two most visited Parisian attractions. And the Versailles Palace was the most visited destination in the region. In this episode, we're going to dive into the heart of Paris, beyond the postcards and the clichés.
1: We are going to explore the hidden gems of Paris, those little nooks and crannies that makes us fall in love with this city over and over again. So grab a croissant, settle in, and let's take a whimsical stroll through the streets of Paris.
0: I've got my croissant ready. Some say that Paris is a cliché, but like all great clichés, it lives up to the hype. This city is absolutely brimming with historic monuments, whose tales fill us with wonder, even after centuries. The ancient Louvre, once a royal palace, now the world's most popular museum. The glittering Opera Garnier, like a miniature palace of Versailles, with gilded corridors and a magnificent staircase. Plus a hidden pool, where the phantom of the opera is said to live the Arc de Triomphe, the great Gothic Cathedral of Notre Dame, and of course, the Eiffel Tower. There is just so much to love. But in this episode, we're going to really focus on the less well-known treasures. And it's actually quite hard to know where to start because Paris is awash with hidden gems and secrets.
1: Okay, I'll go first then. Uh, Let's head to uh, the Marais district. Marais is a French word meaning marsh. And this historic district was in fact marshland until the 12th century. Then the Knights Templar, who had run out of chrysles to fight, cleared the land. Four hundred years on, the aristocracy began building their mansions here, to be close to the Louvre, the preferred palace of royalty. Sure, this area is famous for its stunning architecture, but have you ever stumbled upon the Marché des Enfants Rouges? This covered market dates back to 1615. It's uh, the oldest food market in Paris. So, Janine Marsh in French will be Janine Marais, if I understand well. That's right? true.
0: It's true. And you know what? If you become a French citizen, you can actually request to change your name to something French. So, I could actually become Janine Marais. <laughs> that sounds know. good. <laughs> At this Marché des Enfants Rouges, the name Enfants Rouges actually refers to the children who used to wear red clothes at the orphanage next to the market hundreds of years ago. But now it's a bustling, vibrant place to go. To shop, to enjoy street food, to put together a picnic, to eat in a square.
1: It's very close to the Popin du Centre, and if you like markets and fabulous food, you will love the Marché des Enfants Rouges.
0: I agree. It's a really, really great little place. A lot of people miss it, but do not miss it if you love markets. Now, my next suggestion may not sound like the most fun way to spend a few hours getting to know Paris, but I highly recommend the Père Lachaise Cemetery. It's fascinating, and it gives an insight into the city and its past residents. You'll find it in the east of Paris, and it's the last resting place of more than a million people. And it makes for a very interesting cultural and heritage visit. There are even guided tours available, and there are some seriously famous people buried here. I mean, Mariah Callas, uh, Sarah Bernhardt, Edith Piaf, Frederick Chopin, and Jim Morrison, whose tomb is one of the most visited in the whole cemetery. Marcel Proust lies here, too. And people leave little Madeleine cakes by his grave because they were his favourite cakes. Oscar Wilde's tomb, that's there too. And that now has a clear plastic cover over it because so many visitors kiss the stone that it was starting to disintegrate. Parisians often go here for a Sunday stroll with the family. It feels like a park. And in fact, there are more than 5,000 trees here. It's a labyrinth of tree-lined alleys full of beautiful sculptures. If you want to go there, the nearest metro is Gambetta. By the way, here's a fun fact by Paris Transport. You have the metro, which is generally underground, and then you have the RER, which is generally overground. Now, RER stands for Réseau Express Régional or Regional Express Network, and it runs in Paris into the suburbs. But when the idea for the RER first came up, it was going to be called Metro Express Régional Defense Etoile, which had it been shortened, would have been M-E-R-D-E or merde, which I'm sure you all know. it's true. Which I'm sure you all know what that means. The polite word is poo if you don't, but it was changed at the very last minute.
1: Phew, just in time. Uh, if you head to the heart <laughs> of uh, Paris by the Eiffel Tower and cross to the little Île aux Cygnes, which means the Island of the Swans, it was artificially created in the middle of the river uh, Seine in 1827. And if you go there, you may think that you have been magically teleported to New York because uh, here in Paris you will come face to face with Lady Liberty, the Statue of Liberty, but uh, no, it's because Paris has its own slightly more petite, Lady Liberty, it's like finding a little piece of America but with more baguettes and less baseball. (laughs) Statue of Liberty was a gift from France to America in 1886, obviously. Its interior was designed by Gustave Eiffel and it was created by sculptor Bartholdi from Colmar in Alsace.
0: Did you know that the um, Statue of Liberty's face is said to have been based on Bartholdi's mum's face and there are in fact hundreds of replicas of the Statue of Liberty all around the world but none are as big as the New York Liberty. The statue on the Paris island faces west towards her sister in New York. For our next Paris Uncovered gem, how about a quirky bookstore? A stone's throw from the great Gothic Cathedral of Notre Dame is Shakespeare and Company. It's like Narnia for book lovers. You might go in for a quick browse and come out hours later wondering what year it is. One of my proudest moments was seeing my books on the shelves in this lovely bookshop. And here's another tip if you're a bookshop fan. Maybe head to Belle Hortense, spelled Hortense. It has pretty much only French books, but it is the only bookshop in Paris, possibly in all of France, I'm not sure, that opens until two o'clock in the morning and has a wine cellar. So you can read a book, have a glass of wine till two in the morning. Brilliant. It's very near the Hotel de Ville, the city's town hall.
1: And that's a great tip, Janine. Okay, we're going green now. La Promenade Plantée, also called the Coulee Verte René Dumont, is an elevated park built on an old railway line. You can walk along it and get a really unique perspective of the city. It's great. The railway line was built in the mid-1800s and ran above the streets of Paris. It was abandoned in 1969 as bigger trains were introduced and someone had the genius idea to turn these aerial tracks into a park. In fact, the island. Park in Manhattan, New York, was inspired by the Paris project. The aerial walkways are quite wide, filled with trees and plants, ponds and benches, and harder gyms even. The track winds for 4.5 kilometres from Opéra Bastille to Bois de Vincennes. And that's one of my favourite parts of Paris.
0: I love that too. I remember waiting for a train at de Lyon once and I had a couple of hours to wait for the next one. And I just decided to wander with my suitcase. And then I, I saw these stairs leading up and I thought, oh, I wonder what's up there. And I went wandering up there. And it was just absolutely beautiful. It, it was this promenade. It was really, really lovely. Very green, like you say. And next on my list of favourites is also a green paradise. It's called the Square du Vergalon. It's a charming little park located at the western tip of the Ile de la Cité. You'll get stunning views there over the Seine. And the square owes its name to King Henry IV, born in 1553 and grandfather of Louis XIV. Henri was nicknamed the Vergalon because of his numerous mistresses, even as he got older. Apparently, people used to say, oh, he's always green despite his great age. Though since he died in 1610, when he was only 57 years old, it wasn't really a great age, but I suppose for those days it was. The square is about eight metres, 25 feet below the ground floor of the Pont Neuf nearby, which is another tip. Pont Neuf is actually the oldest bridge over the Seine in Paris, even though it's called the New Bridge. It's the natural level of the land here, so it floods quite easily. And it's overlooked by a statue of Henry IV sitting on a horse. The square is filled with lots of trees and plants and wild birds. Ducks and more hens come up there. And Parisians love to come here for a romantic stroll and for the fabulous view over the Seine with the Louvre in the background.
1: OK, now, have you ever heard of Nicolas Flameled's house? It's slightly more famous now due to Harry Potter because uh, Nicolas Flamel made an appearance in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. He made the Philosopher's Stone, an object capable of turning metal into gold and granting immortality with its elixir of life. The house is a restaurant now and even has a Harry Potter menu, obviously. (laughs) This building dated back to 1407 at 51 rue de Montmorency is the oldest stone house in the city. Nicolas Flamel, the Rinman, lived here. It's thought he was born in uh, 1330, and he worked uh, as a bookseller, and it's believed he was obsessed with an ancient book uh, about alchemy, written in Hebrew. A legend developed that he translated the ancient manuscript uh, and discovered the secret of immortality and the philosopher's stone. He lived uh, to be 88 years old, pretty old for those days, which probably influenced that story as well. As an additional piece of trivia, a street named for him, Rue Nicolas Flamel, near the Louvre, intersects with the Rue Pernelle named for his wife, we married in 1368, and who is also in the Harry Potter film. And talking about roads, Is another fun fact about Paris, there are no traffic stop signs in the city at all. There used to be one in the 16th arrondissement, the French word for Paris district, but it was removed in 2016, making Paris a rare case of a capital city without a single stop sign. And a bit more trivia, because I know you like it. Highways leaving Paris are numbered clockwise from 1 to 16. For example, the A1 goes to Lille in the north, the A6 to Lyon in the south, all the way around until you get to the A16, to Calais, in a different part of the north. We are so well organized in France.
0: Oh, you so are. It's true. The (laughs) French are very well organised. I'm not going to argue with that. I just love how Paris has such a long, rich history and that you can find traces of it absolutely everywhere. Whenever I get time, I love to go to Paris It's about two hours away on the train for me in the north of France. And I just walk. So in September for my birthday, I went to Paris for two days on my own and I just walked miles and miles. I wandered. The French call it to flanay, like to wander without a real purpose, just for the pleasure of walking and experience exploring. And when I walked in Paris, and as always, I just keep seeing amazing things. Like there are plaques on the wall everywhere you go. And this time I spotted a plaque which said it was a marker for the perimeter of Paris, which of course it wasn't because Paris is much bigger. You can see it while you're standing there. But in 1726, in an attempt to limit development in the city, King Louis XV established 294 of these plaques saying essentially, Paris ends here. I mean, that's just crazy, isn't it? And some of them are still there. And if you look at the Hotel de Saint, spelled S-E-N-S, which is in the Marais district, it's actually the oldest mansion in the area and just one of three remaining medieval residences in Paris. There is another piece of history, So hotel in this instance doesn't mean hotel like you stay in as a guest. It means a residence of importance. And in this case, the Hotel de Sons was a palace for the Archbishop of Sons, a town in Burgundy. And in the wall is a reminder of three days of revolution in July 1830, when a cannonball lodged in the wall. And someone said, let's just leave it there. So they put a plaque up underneath it. And the date, that it was struck and it's still there and to me that's just so odd you you know this picturesque medieval building like a fairy tale castle and then a cannonball and a plaque but it's well worth a visit has a really pretty little garden too which you can visit for free
1: and when the great uh, Cathedral of notre dame reopens at the end of uh, 2024 take time to notice the incredible detailed ironwork on the side doors There is a legend, again, that uh, when they were created in the 13th century by a locksmith called Biscorne, he was so overwhelmed by the task of designing and making the ornamentation for the doors, that he had to sell his soul to the devil to get help. Against all the odds. He managed to finish his amazing work in a very short time. The doors were called the Devil's Doors, of course, and it was said that they were impossible to repair. But in the 19th century, they did in fact need to be uh, repaired. And a very famous master blacksmith called Pierre Boulanger was chosen to do the work. It took him considerably long, 12 years to repair and reproduce the work of Cornet. Once his work was done, Boulanger signed his name on some of the panels on the back of the door just to prove that the masterpiece was made by a human and not the devil.
0: That's just amazing, isn't it? I have to say, I mean, I've walked past those doors several times, but I would never walk past again without thinking of this, I have to tell you. And I have another Notre Dame secret. Did you know that you can go underneath the cathedral and there, in Europe's biggest archaeological crypt, you will discover the old Roman city of Lutetia, as Paris was then called. It means near a swamp or a marsh. Hardly anyone ever goes there, but if you look in the corner of the square of Notre Dame, there's a staircase that looks like it probably leads to a car park and there's a pillar and on the pillar is engraved the words crypt du parvis. So head down those stairs and be prepared to be amazed because here, in 1964, when someone decided it would be a really good idea to build a car park under the cathedral, mm-mm, anyway, they discovered that there are whole roads of ancient Paris, a unique timeline of the city from the remains of the city's very first port through Roman baths and even 19th century streets. And it's all underneath Notre Dame. Incredible.
1: How amazing is that? And uh, talking of streets, how about the shortest road in Paris? Rue des Degrees in the second arrondissement, 5.75 meters. Not much to see, hein, but how quaint is that? And the oldest clock in Paris <laughs> is on the corner of the Boulevard du Palais Quai de l'Horloge, near the Conciergerie building. The clock was commissioned by uh, Charles V in uh, 1370 and installed in 1371 and it still works it was the first public clock in France it's set in a tower that was once a watchtower and part of a royal palace
0: that's just incredible isn't it I mean I've seen that clock it's beautiful it's all gold and blue and fleur-de-lis and it's enormous as well it's astonishing and Paris is really visually rich but it's also full of amazing sounds For me, I love to go to Paris cafes. You get this layer of sound when you go to a popular cafe, people laughing, you know, like the low hum of conversation, the servers calling out, you know, un café allongé, and depending where you are, the sounds of the locality, like the bells of Notre Dame or another church, the hum of traffic, tour buses, and the sound of, you know, them reading out names and stuff and the noise of a market or the metro passing beneath your feet, cars driving on cobble. For me, it's just incredible. So why do we all love Paris? It's not just the landmarks. It's the little moments. Finding a jazz band, playing in a cosy cafe or in a cobblestone alley. It's the smell of fresh pastries from a boulangerie. There are more than 1,700 of them in Paris, so you've got a lot of choice. It's a sunset view from the bridge over the Seine. Paris really is a city where every street corner has a story
1: well, mes amis, that's all for today's episode of uh, Paris Uncovered. I hope you've enjoyed our journey through the city's lesser-known treasures. Next time you're in Paris, take a look beyond the guidebook; there's a hidden gem waiting at every turn, literally.
0: Actually, Ollie, I think that this episode has inspired me to write a guidebook about the secrets of Paris. You heard it here first, but now it's time for a reader's question.
1: Got a question about France? Well. Ask the experts. We reply to you in each episode. And we do it for free. In every episode of this podcast, we answer one of your questions. You should know it by now. And we don't mind what you ask us. Let's find out what today's question is, Janine.
0: Okay, today's question is from Laura Beanie of Manchester, UK. I think we might have to have a prize for the best question asked because we've had some right old stonkers this year. Can you write a check on toilet paper? That was one. Is it the law to keep frogs in your pond quiet? Yes, and I think today's question is also a contender, and it's a great one for this episode. Laura wants to know, is it true that some people visit Paris and they are so disappointed that they get sick? I read it in a newspaper, but that just sounds crazy. So, Ollie, is it true that there are some visitors to the City of Light who get sick at the sight of it as it's not what they expected
1: Well, yes, actually, it's true. There are a few, just very few people (laughs) who suffer nausea, vomiting and hallucinations, you know, when they visit Paris, because they are so upset that uh, what they find is not what they imagine. Uh, It's known as Paris syndrome. And actually, it can happen in uh, any city. There is also... New York syndrome and uh, London syndrome. It's part of a wider psychological condition known as traveller syndrome, which can affect visitors to any country. But it's very rare, of
0: course. Yes, Laura, it's true. There are a few tourists who have really, really, really romantic expectations of Paris. And when they see it's a real city with traffic and shops, And modern buildings in amongst the ancient architecture they get so badly disappointed it actually makes them feel ill it's like an extreme form of culture shock experts say that some people feel culture shock much more strongly than others and in this case, we're talking very, very few, a handful. Visitors who think that they're going to find Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris or Amélie's Paris or Hemingway's Paris. They think they're going to find a Paris that's like it is in Disney films or you know, romantic books. And then they see that it's not like that everywhere. And it is in places. There's no doubt about that. It really is that great in places. But it's not a museum. It's a real city. And some people are so shocked. It can actually make them feel ill. I have to say, Paris has the opposite effect on me and on most people. The Paris that I love isn't the Paris of influencers and Disney. It isn't all pink blossom and supermodels prancing down the Champs-Élysées and through glorious public gardens, though that is something you do see. But real Paris will steal your heart with its secrets and its surprising museums and its hidden ateliers, the old world style shops. These are the secret places that are the soul of the city, like the places we've been talking about. And there are so many more. i tell you what, I'm so going to write that book, you know.
1: (laughs) I'm very looking forward to reading it already. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for that question, Laura. If you also have a question for us, feel free to send it to janine at thegoodlifefrance.com or via our podcast newsletter. And if there is a topic you want to know more about, let us know. This is the Good Life France podcast. Oh la la, le podcast The Good Life France Thank you a huge merci beaucoup to everyone for listening to our podcast from all around the world and as usual an enormous thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends and family which really really grateful when you do that You've been listening to Janine March and me Olivier Geoffrey, you can find me at ParisChanson.fr.
0: And you can find me and heaps of information about France, where to visit, culture, history, recipes, everything France at thegoodlifefrance.com. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast, to my weekly newsletter about France, and totally brilliant, totally free magazine, which you can read at magazine.thegoodlifefrance.com. But for now, it's time for me to say a very happy new year to you, this being the first podcast of 2024, and au revoir.
1: And bonne année to everybody. Goodbye from me. Speak to you soon. The Good Life France podcast, available on all podcast platforms, on thegoodlifefrance.com and on ParisChanson.fr. The most beautiful French songs of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, only on Paris Chanson. Available on your mobile, smart TV, computer, and smart speaker, 24/7. Visit ParisChanson.fr to find out more. That's P A R I S C H A N S O N dot
0: F R.